In this week's episode, we're joined by IGN's editor Zaid Creel to unpack Huawei's Mate 10 launch, the Xbox One X landing in South Africa, HMD Global's Nokia 2 making landfall, as well as production problems surrounding the Pixel 2 XL. This is Bandwidth Blog on Air, episode 98. Welcome to Bandwidth Blog on Air, the weekly podcast of BandwidthBlog.com. Right, so Zaid, thank you very much for joining us on Bandwidth Blog on Air. It's great to have you on the show. Um, so let's start with you, Zaid. Uh, tell us about uh, tell us about your experience um, at the Huawei Mate 10 Pro launch uh, a week ago now. Uh, me and Brian spoke about it, but I, I would love to hear your opinions. Well, um, <laughs> like not to be too too inside baseball. Um, as much as I enjoyed the party and the event and everything that 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 happened there. Um, that's more, you know, that is more a media event in the sense of um, a top billing espresso kind of event. Not, not really one suit. <laughs> hashtag influencers. <laughs> hashtag influencers, correct. Not really one suited to uh, people in the tech journal world. Um, so it was nice that the phones were actually there. Um, but we didn't really, because there's so many people and the atmosphere is more, more about a, having a nice party and celebrating the device. The great irony of that is, is you don't actually get to experience the device. Um, so I can't really talk too much about the Mate Pro 10 um, or the Porsche variant of that in any great capacity. I didn't really get a chance to do anything with it. Suffice to say, um, it's a fantastic looking phone. I really, I really do admire the look of it. It looks really nice. Um, it's very difficult nowadays for a phone to stand out and be distinctive. Um, especially like in the flagship space, it's, unless you're talking about odd colors and so on, a uh, hard thing to do. But um, I reckon if you are using a Mate Pro 10 and someone spots you, they'll be like, oh, I wonder what phone that is. And that's probably just because of that unique little strip that it has on the back and the fact that it's dual camera lenses of, you know, are vertical and in the center um, of the phone. So it does give it a bit of a distinctive look. Um but yeah, impressions of the event itself, it was a fantastic party. <laughs> but as a, um, you know, when you're asking me about the device itself and the event, I can't really comment. I must have touched one for all of 45 seconds, if that much. Zaid, I've got, a, I've got a question for you, perhaps speaking to more to your forte in the gaming mm. world. Something that Tienas and I chatted about last week was that the, the Mate 10 Pro leverages AI as it's differentiated in a, quite a novel, interesting way in the market in that it's more focused on performance and stamina. Mm. And one of the more interesting exhibits, perhaps, that wasn't widely spoken about at the Huawei 10 launch was gaming. There was a, a sort of a Scalectrix model track to which you could pilot the car with a smartphone. And the question that I want to ask... That was my favorite. It was awesome. <laughs> it was mine too. Do you think that this kind of bespoke AI platform could lend itself to gaming in the future? Or do you think this is one we'll sort of miss altogether to go more with high-powered screens and the likes of Samsung's game launcher? Well, look, you know, like, I'm kind of going to dodge your question in a way um, because I just want to talk a bit more about this whole idea of the neural processing unit in the phone and AI and so on. Um I think what people need to realize, first of all, is that when, when Huawei is talking about AI, they're not talking about um, Skynet or, uh, you know, or, or the, the computers on the Starship Enterprise or something like that. And that's the immediate impression <laughs> that you kind of get when people start banding the, around the words AI, which is what's quite clever of, of Huawei to, you know, the, the acronym that they push more is this whole idea of NPU, about machine learning and so on. 
So, like, the the Huawei Mate, Mate 10 Pro isn't an intelligent phone in the literal sense, you know? It, it, it doesn't kind of leverage that machine learning thing to develop a personality or that kind of thing. Um, it's more an, an idea of that the phone can kind of learn your habits in a way. And that's just that's just data, you know? Um, as, far, as that extends to gaming, I actually have no idea how that would naturally work. Um, it's an it's a difficult it's one of those things where they've kind of created a solution to a problem that we don't have yet, um, and usually that's a um, you know when, when when you usually when you make that kind of comment you mean it in a negative sense, but I think yeah they kind of like one of these days we are going to face problems that would be just wouldn't it just be easier if the phone could figure out what the issue is and fix it itself, and I think this is kind of what they're driving towards, how that ties to gaming per se. I have no idea. I, I cannot conceive of how that would be helpful in one way or the other. One of the things we like to talk about in gaming is that uh, gamers don't actually want proper AI in their games. They want the illusion of AI. Um, I've had a couple of interviews, um, or, or read a number of interviews, both on IGN and in the gaming press at large, talking to developers and so on, where they mention things like, well, it would have been possible for us to make these um, enemy characters much smarter and so on. But then the experience doesn't become fun anymore. So it's not so much for gaming specifically and AI and neural processing and that kind of thing. It's more about the illusion of cleverness than actual cleverness. Um, but you know, having said this, so so sorry, Zaid. Can can I can I jump yes, please. in? Uh, um, I mean, this is this is a fascinating point for me, um, and it's very interesting to hear your point of view on this. I mean, I mean, does that mean like something like the the Razer phone, for example? Mm. Do you think that? You know, um, um, people want a, a proper device for, for for gaming, or do you think that the the processing unit won't lend itself to a better gaming experience? No, well, uh, that's, uh, that's up to, that's up to a, um, a gaming developer to figure out whether the processing unit is actually helpful in that way or not. I'm sure there are a number of scenarios depending on the specific game where that could be could be helpful in some way or another. Um, I'm thinking maybe of a, a, a real-time strategy game uh, that could be quite useful. Where it could could be uh, you could more easily simulate um, playing against a human opponent as opposed to the normal, um, you know, one-player kind of experience. Maybe in that sense it could work. Right, right. Um, but, I mean, you mentioned the Razer phone and, and its whole targeting of gamers. It's like, that's actually actually a different conversation because what the Razer is trying to attempt with their phone... No, I agree. Is, ...has actually very little to do with AI and so on. What they are actually trying to do is, Razer has been clever in that they've said... Um, Gaming is moving towards mobile. This is clear, right? And you are going to get to that point where that is going to be your primary gaming device. Or, I mean, well, I mean, aside from people like myself who, who you know, are like quote unquote the hardcore gamers, but the majority of people are going to enter the video game world through their phone. And the Razer's whole idea is, is they already have this good reputation as a marquee brand in the gaming environment. Why not extend that into mobile where we know gamers are going? The Razer phone is is not breaking any kind of borders or, any, or, 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 or introducing something new into the market. It is, to my in my opinion, just a very clever marketing exercise. Um, and if you look at the specs of the phone and so on, which um, it escapes me now, it's it's basically designed to be a powerhouse. Um, so that when you do play games on it, 
everything functions perfectly and smoothly so you'll get the best gaming experience. But the Razer phone itself isn't designed to create new innovative gaming experiences, if you follow um, what I mean. I think that's a really interesting point to pivot to our next topic on the show, talking about the Xbox One X. I've only ever owned an Xbox, and at present I have the original Xbox. Now, the Xbox One X, which is the powerhouse version pivoting of what you just said earlier, Zaid, has now arrived in South Africa. But the question... I have to ask, and I imagine, Zaid, it's the question that many South African consumers are asking, is this perhaps not overpriced, and if at all, is it actually worth the money? It's like, it's, it's too expensive, and it's also not too expensive. <laughs> it's, it's one of those, it's one of those... <laughs> well, thank you for that insightful answer. It's a, thank you very much, that's the end of the show, we've, we've solved all the problems. No, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's not really that clear cut. Um, uh, the Xbox One X is... So, 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 so I guess the question then is, Zaid, who is this for? Yeah, that's, that's the ultimate question. I mean, um, our own um, Ryan McCaffrey, who's like the, the Xbox uh, editor, is like the, the, the guru at IGN as far as Xbox is concerned. Um, he wrote, about, I think, two or three articles on IGN already asking that very question, examining this thing. It's like, who is this for? Um, because there are no, um, no gameplay advantages, so to speak, to having an Xbox One X. Um, it's, it's not you know your game experience isn't going to be tangibly better or worse than someone that has it's all visual yeah, it's all right? visual it's all visual um, but again you said and that and that in a way he kind of answered his own question because there is a um, a grouping of people who always needs to be on the bleeding edge of, of gaming it's one of the reasons why PC why the PC has remained such a viable um, um, and, and long lasting uh, platform for gaming. Because you can always you can always make your, your PC more powerful. You can always add more RAM. You can always add a bigger graphics card. There's always room for improvement, and you can do that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, in stages, right? Um, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Um, but for consoles, that's a harder thing to do. So the Xbox One X is kind of like that tool. Um, look, guys. We're not introducing a new console generation, but what we are doing is we're taking the existing technology um, and just taking it as far as it can possibly go um, to give you the best visual experience that you can have. And that's really what the Xbox One X is about. Something to keep in mind, I mean, the Xbox One X, um, it's, gonna, it's due to launch fairly soon locally uh, with this uh, recommended retail price of seven seven thousand five hundred and ninety nine, which isn't cheap. That's 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 insane. That's a lot of money, uh, and that's for the con- that's just for the console. There's some extra, you know. I'm going to get into that in a second. There's some extra hidden costs that a lot of people don't think about. Um, but if you are looking for a, a gaming device that can push out 4K, the Xbox One X is your cheapest option. If you wanted to do the same thing on a PC. There is no way in hell that you'd be able to afford a, to afford a PC that costs the same, that will give you the same uh, visual fidelity. It's just impossible. Um, a high-end graphics card able to push out that level of, um, you know, to push out that kind of graphical fidelity already costs double the amount of the Xbox One X. So in a way, in asking us, like, who is this device for? It's for people that don't have 30,000 Rand for a, a 1070 GTX uh, um, a graphics card. Um, but they've got seven and a half grand, you know, that's like half the money. So it's like, I want 4K gaming. This is, this is my tool to get, get to it. 
And so initially you'll think to yourself, Well, Zaid, you, you've sold me on it because, because for me, <laughs> uh, previously this was, this was incomprehensible. But, I mean, I, um, I, I guess the difference is, I mean, I'm, uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm a big gamer. I'll, I'll, um, I'll admit I've got a PS4. So sorry for the Xbox crowd. But, um, you know, no, even when I was a PC gamer, I never, I was never one of those people that wanted the bleeding edge, the, the best graphics cards. I just wanted one that was good enough so that I could perv on the graphics. Yeah, that did the job, yeah. Now, you know, now you, now you can do that on, on, on any console, can't you? Maybe other than the Switch. Yeah, well, look, even the Switch is, is um, uh, I think the Switch is kind of gets uh, as a bad, um, an un- uncalled for reputation for, for bad graphics. It's really not... Um, the case in my opinion but um just as you know coming back to the the cost your, your cost um and uh, and what you get out of a kind of situation yes the xbox one is worth buying if you do want 4k graphics and if you've seen it in action um it is you know it's like it is something else you do it does take your brain a while to to actually um Understand that you're looking at a video game. There's a there's a thing that there's a, a thing that happens when you when you include 4K textures um, and they're animating at 60 frames per second, which is uncommon and unusual if you're a, um, a console gamer. We don't see that very often. So when you see 4K gaming for the first time and you see it, um, you know, happening at 60 frames per second. Um, I think there was even a couple of games that will that'll go to 120 frames per second if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I, Ooh, but I, I, I speak under correction. Um, it is it is something like wow. I think maybe this is worth the money. But again, this the like I said, there are hidden costs involved in this Xbox One experiment that a lot of people don't think about. When you get an Xbox One X, you're not only going to be spending 7,599 rand. To get the true benefits of that console, you're going to need to get a 4K TV as well. Um, mm. And those—that's a pretty large hidden that, cost. That's a, you could sub, you could potentially substitute that with a with an HDMI capable 4K monitor. <laughs> but even then, I mean, you're still talking at least double the price, at least seven thousand rand. If you're talking about a, a 32-inch monitor, if you, but most people aren't. They're going to be connecting the device into the the TV in their main bedroom. That's the typical kind of scenario. 4K TV for um, your lounge, that's at least at least 12,000, and I think when I checked last, that's the cheapest Hisense 4K TV I could find. Um, so you already you already uh, almost at 20,000 bucks. But one of the things people definitely don't consider in terms of cost, and I think I, I'll, um, not to blow my own horn, I think I was one of the first people to actually mention it. In the South African context, you are also going to need a high caliber internet connection because the 4k textures that are associated with that game do not ship natively on the disc um so you're going to have to download them separately so if you buy whether you're buying the game digitally or you're getting it on disc you still have to download this stuff and for forza 7 alone that was an over 100 gigabyte patch Mm. um so if you if you're talking if you're going to be doing this to all your games uh, Forza, Gears of War, Halo, or whatever, all the games that take advantage of this. You're looking at in the region of just for the 4K assets. This is besides whatever other technical patches might be required for the game. At least an additional 50 gigs of data. Um, and now, you know, that's a lot of data to download. And depending on the kind of line you've got, it could take a while to do that. I'm running, uh, uh, you know, at, in, at my uh, line, I've got, I've, I've got a 20 megabyte. Um, LTE line, which is quite fast for my data use, and 
but when I need to just download a game sometimes for review, we get issued a code instead of a disk. Um, I've got to wait at least uh, anywhere between 24 to 48 hours for that to complete. So that's two days I've lost. And a typical game nowadays is anywhere between uh, 40 to 50 gigs, excluding patches. But other than that, though, sorry to interrupt, Jade, but other than that, I mean, how big does that actually make the install file on your console? How, you, you know, does one terabyte then actually be sufficient if you've got five or six games on your, on your console? That was, that was actually the next point. If you've, um, you, you've, you've um, looked into the crystal ball and you see, saw where I was going. That's the other thing. One terabyte, <laughs> one terabyte is not going to be sufficient for multiple games. You, well, look, fortunately, thank you. You know, the Xbox One X does support external hard drive. You can just plug any external hard drive in it and it's fine. You don't have to do any, any major magic. But you're going to have to purchase that hard drive as well. Um, and you're probably going to have to want to get a two two terabyte or bigger if if you've decided that you know all your gaming is going to happen in 4K. The Xbox One X is an expensive exercise, um, and if you want to, uh, you know, the, the review that we had for it actually put it very well. It's, it said the device has amazing potential, but that potential relies a lot on external factors, um, and that's probably. You know why we didn't why IGN didn't give uh, the Xbox One X uh, a nine out of ten or whatever if memory serves I think we gave it a seven um, seven out of ten. Um, but yeah, look if you've got the money, if you've got the money, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> well, on on that on that bombshell on that note about money, I think it's a nice segue to our next topic. In that the Nokia Two is now officially in South Africa. Of course, that joins the. Nokia 3, 5, 6, and 8 with the 7 still outstanding. It's at the present, it's a China-only exclusive. Now, what really appeals to me, you, both of you gents might differ on this, is that for a long time I've felt that South Africa needs more great budget smartphones. And although they're not particularly exciting to talk about, you know, this is no Galaxy S8, they are very much needed. And I was relieved to see that the Nokia 2 brings with it two important factors, I think, for the budget market. The first, of course, is a wallet-friendly price at 69 on recommended retail price. And the second thing is a claim two days of battery life, which is incredibly important for someone relying on this for communication. And it's also a good, significant factor sitting just above the revived Nokia 3310. So, Zayden Tennis, what are your thoughts on this device? And do you think this could be a nice, real foundation for Nokia in the South African market, considering its price? So I'll just quickly jump in and I'll say that I think this is the perfect device for Nokia or HMD to have, uh, have launched in South Africa. Um, it's, uh, their market in South Africa is not the Nokia 6, it's not the Nokia 8, it's not the Nokia 9. This is the device they need to be pushing very, very hard. Um, Zaid, you know, what are your thoughts? Do you think that it could be a potential, you know, a, a hit? Do you think it'll be the Nokia 3310 of our day? I'm, I'm kind of, I'm quite pleased with this device. I think this is, you know, like you were saying earlier, um, there's, it hits a good sweet spot between how much it costs and, uh, and you know, the specs that you get for that money. I don't think, I don't think there's too many other phones at that price point um, that offer one gig of RAM, a, a meaty, I think it's a 400 milliamp battery, four, sorry, 4,000 milliamp battery, which is quite large for a it is a size yeah, which is quite yeah. large for a phone of that uh, size. Um, could the camera be better? Yes. <laughs> you know, could the could the, the selfie camera be better? Yes, I'm sure it could. Uh, but I think this is this is a, the smart play. I mean, nine times out of ten, you you make most of your money from your entry level stuff in any case. And I think this is a, a good opportunity for Nokia to become the new um, 
what was it? The new Huawei P8 Lite, was it? Yeah, precisely. So, I think that's it. That's a really that good analogy. Phone. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it, it, it made, <laughs> well. It, it, it did really well. It, audible, it audible or not, <laughs> True. It, it sold like gangbusters, and it did. And it, you know, and it, uh, it, um, it did for did something for Huawei that um, you know that they struggled to do with their higher end phones. You you kind of always win the market with your least impressive phone. If that phone can, um, you know, can get people excited uh, and give them, oh, wow, this is really cool. They stick with that brand. And that was kind of how Huawei's growth happened. They had a, uh, an okay phone in the P8 Lite and they were just basically throwing it away <laughs> on every entry-level contract you could find. Uh, and that's the only reason people picked it. Nokia is in a much better position. People re- re- remember and recognize the Nokia brand number one. There's a sense of trust and surety that comes with it. Moreover, the phone is actually really good looking. Um, it's actually a, a very nice phone. I think Nokia's lineup in general is actually quite uh, quite fetching, uh, understated, but you know, still quality looking. Um, and I I feel like it's going to do really really well for them. Um, and uh, you know, it was also smart of them to lean into this whole pure Android thing. Um, it saved them on cost and stuff, and it's a very straightforward, easy, um, you know, the easiest quote-unquote version of Android to use is, oddly enough, the original version of Android. Um, I have a very good feeling about this one. I think it's going to do really well for Nokia. Um, I think the only thing that would really stand in its way is um, is operator buy-in. If they, if they can't convince the Vodacoms and the MTNs and so on to push this phone in the same way that they push the Huawei P8 Lite, that's probably the, really the only misstep. But if it's like anything else in the in the in the lineup of recent phones, I think they're going to do really well with the Nokia too. I think that's that's well said. I think you know, obviously, the major strength Nokia has going into this is that you know things might have changed. Nokia might run Android now, but that's budget-friendly, long-lasting smartphones. Really, is this cornerstone of the Nokia brand. It's really the chief connotation. I think when you think of the Nokia name. And I think it's really important that we have this kind of device back in South Africa. And, of course, sales volumes will only tell. But I'd like to pivot to our last subject, and this is one, I think, of particular interest to all of us, is Google's Pixel 2 is probably the phone we want most in South Africa that we can't have. And now it seems worldwide that the Pixel 2 XL is suffering from a great number of quality issues. Now, I had a private conversation with Zay today, and we seem to differ on this, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts in full Zaid, but I would argue this is a bit of a train wreck for Google, and why I say that is not so much in the fact that the flaws are massive, but it kills a lot of confidence in Google's emerging mobile brand, which I don't think the company can easily afford at this stage. um, I think the situation with the Pixel 2 has kind of um, degraded all the goodwill that they had with the original Pixel and Pixel XL. so I mean that's that's never no don't say that <laughs> that's never helpful <laughs> that's never helpful but I think it's also one of these situations where I I don't I think the issue is kind of a bit overblown um, there was you know the initial point of but uh, contention that people had with the Pixel two was specific to the Pixel XL with this whole idea of this blue shift happening in the screen um, and I look. None of us have had personal experience with the device, so maybe we're the wrong people to be talking about this. But when I've watched video demonstrations of people trying to illustrate this problem, 
it only really seems to be a problem if other people want to watch something on your phone. If you want if you want to show a video or something. <laughs> and I'm like, what you're really talking about here is viewing angles. Uh, and it seems to me like what's happening with this one is that when you have a bad viewing angle, the screen is turning blue instead of the normal black. And I don't really see how that's a problem. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure why that's a deal breaker of, of, of any kind. Yes, certainly. What do you I think, think, Brian? I, I personally think this is really indicative and it, it reminds me of another phone which we haven't really concluded our editorial view but we can point to what some other reviewers have said about it is the LG V30. I think the key connotation between I just both got these that phones, on my desk by the way literally oh, 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Fantastic. We can pivot nicely then. No, I'm kidding. Well, the, I, think, I think the chief connotation really is that it shows expert, what expertise in OLED displays can do. And I think that's something to commend at least Samsung on with its recent phones. We've seen now not only the LG V30, but also the Pixel 2 XL suffer with its OLED display. And even some iPhone 10s are showing some display oddities as well. So I do think there's a particular craftsmanship element that is perhaps, or experience element that is perhaps missing here and to, to reprise on our earlier point i do feel that this is really worrying for google because it's not the reputation they meet, need to cultivate the pixel brand and eventually export it more widely overseas yeah but again it's like i think it's um, it's it's nitpicking um that's just my take in the situation i think there's a, a real element of nitpicking here um who is this really affecting and how i think we've actually gotten to that point where uh, good phones are really, 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 really good. And so when we are comparing phones against each other, uh, you you really have to look at the most, you know, at, at the real minutiae to start saying, oh, this one isn't good or that one isn't good. But, you know, the point is, that I was making is, is that I think we've reached that point where it's kind of like nitpicking. It's it's the degrees of, of um, difference between high-end flagship phones is so tiny now that the smallest flaw gets exacerbated because there's a flaw. And uh, it's kind of like the, the a small stain on a, on a perfectly pristine white sheet. Um, you wouldn't notice it otherwise, if you know what I mean. Um, so I don't think this problem is, is you know, if, you, if you're in your day-to-day use, it's probably not that big of a deal. But the kind of people that are talking about this issue tend to be the kind of people that have, you know, tend to be the tech influencers or tech reviewers. So they get to experience the iPhone X, and, and it is the iPhone X, I insist on calling it that. Uh, so they get to experience the <laughs> iPhone X, and the, the Galaxy, and the V30, and the OnePlus 3, and whatever. So they actually get that experience of seeing these phones next to each other, and you say, ah, this one does this, and this one does that, and this one doesn't do that, and this one doesn't do that. Most people are never going to have that experience. You'll have your phone. And that's the one you're going to experience every day. And I am convinced that anyone that has bought a Pixel 2 XL um, are, is not going to be bothered by this problem. You need to also like remember when people are, are reviewing phones, whether on YouTube or on, on sites like Bandwidth Blog or so on, it's kind of like your job to look for problems. So you are looking at viewing angles and all of these kind of things. And you are generally extending the use, um, you know, the, the, the things that you are doing with the phone. You are doing things that most people would ordinarily probably never do so you'll pick up on those issues um but yeah to my way of thinking I, I don't think this is that big of an issue really however it because so many people are talking about it it does as i said earlier it does kind of mitigate all the confidence that the original 
uh, Pixel phones uh, gave to, to Google. But yeah, um, it's not it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's not an exploding Note Seven, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So Google Google, <laughs> Google will be fine when the Pixel Three comes along. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Bandwidth Blog on episode 98. I'm Zay Kill, editor of IGN.com. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for joining us, Zaid, and be sure to tune back in next week for episode 99 of Bandwidth Blog on Air. You've been listening to Bandwidth Blog on Air, the weekly podcast of bandwidthblog.com.